Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. Uh, hi to all of you who are here, and hi to those who are going to be watching a little later online, and a huge hi to all of our friends up in North Durham, up in Port Perry. Uh, good to see you this morning, too. Um, recently, my wife Jennifer and I uh, got a chance to get away for a week together, kind of a, a week's vacation, just the two of us. We're at that stage of life now where uh, the kids don't depend on us anymore, and we're in that and beginning to enjoy some real freedom there. And so we got away for a week together, and in our week away, uh, we... Uh, we drove on one of the days, we were down in Florida, we drove on one of the days up to Disney, and we decided now, you know, without kids in tow, that we would, we would just do one day at Disney. And so we went out there, and it, it got me thinking, you know, because you go to the rides, right, and, and you have to decide which rides you're going to go on, you know, depending on whether you like, uh, you know, rides that spin, or rides that are educational, or, or rides that are just playing like you know, thrill rides. Now, I have, to, I have to be careful. I get motion sickness really easy because I'm a big baby. At least that's what people say to me. And I suffer a little bit time to time from vertigo. So I always have to be careful on some of the rides. How many people here love roller coasters, though? Yeah, see, I, I mean, I, I would love to love roller coasters because they look like just such a thrilling, but I'm just, I'm so nervous to get on in them because of the things that I struggle with. And so, you know, when we were going and looking at some of the, the rides and, uh, and all that, it got me thinking about roller coasters. You, you know what the top five biggest roller coasters are in the world? Well, I do, because it's right here. So um, I have them right here. So um, the fifth highest roller coaster in the world is called the Tower of Terror, appropriately so it's 328 feet do your own you know conversion into meters and it's in dream world australia so if you want to ride that one you've got to go there the fourth highest one is called superman at six flags in california it's 415 feet high the third top one is called the top thrill dragster that just sounds good that just sounds like the kind of thing I'd like to go on. It's in Cedar Point, Ohio, so you can get there fairly easily and it's uh it's 420 feet then this one used to be the tallest roller coaster for a long time, but it just, it's about to get bumped. There's one in construction. It's called the King Dakar at Six Flags in New Jersey, and it's a whopping 456 feet. But the one that's going to be ready, they're going to open it in 2017, but it's being constructed right now, is in Orlando, of course, where else? In Orlando, Florida, and it's called Skyscraper, and it's 570 feet tall. Now, I did do the conversion on that one because that one impresses me. That's 174 meters tall or 52 stories. 52 stories. Like, can you imagine riding that beast? That would just be crazy to ride that thing. I, I'm not going to do it, but it would be crazy. And some of you who are roller coaster fans, you guys can get out there and, and you, can, you can ride that thing. Well, here at C4 in the springtime, I hope, you know, it's going to be a little more spring-like soon, but in the spring we're doing this series of sermons called Take Heart. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and all of the men and women of faith that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been kind of unpacking their life story a little bit to see why they're actually mentioned in Hebrews 11 so that you and I can begin to take heart when we look at their lives we, we can see all of the things that they've gone through, and we've seen how they've come out through the process of life with their faith intact, and it encourages us, it inspires us, it, it helps me keep going, it helps you keep going, it tells us to not give up, it tells us and encourages us to not give in. 
And so far we've looked at the life of Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And this morning we're going to take a look at somebody who rode a roller coaster the whole of his life. This guy's life is a roller coaster. And it's the life of Joseph. Now in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22 we have this verse about Joseph. It says this. By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. That doesn't seem like a whole lot. But I hope by the end of this morning, it's going to be a little clearer on why he's included in this hall of faith, why his picture is on the wall of faith, and why he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as a great person of faith. But, but even more than just understanding why he's a great person of faith, I think And I hope this morning that as I talk you through the life of Joseph and some of the implications of the life of Joseph, that you and I can actually be really encouraged in our walk of faith. You know, if your life is a bit of a roller coaster, if you're facing a lot of ups but also a lot of downs, if you find that circumstances swing and change in your life, I think we'll be able to resonate with someone like Joseph and we'll be able to understand what he went through and actually, more importantly, how he went through what he went through so that you and I will not give up, will not grow weary, and we won't throw in the towel in our faith journey. The life of Joseph is um, quite a long passage of scripture and so we'll probably be here to mid-afternoon. It's in Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50. So it's the whole second part. Some people think I'm kidding. No, we won't be here all afternoon. Okay. So chapter 37 to 50 of Genesis is what I'm going to cover this morning. Now, you know, some of you have heard of Joseph. How many people have actually heard of Joseph? What's the number one thing that everybody thinks about when they think about Joseph? His coat of many colors, right? You know, the amazing Technicolor dream coat, right? As Andrew Lloyd Webber put it. So... That's what I find most people, that's kind of all they know about Joseph. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to just really quickly this morning recap the story of Joseph. Because there is an amazing roller coaster ride that Joseph goes on. And it's got way more included than than just this coat of many colors. And so I want to recap, you know, these 14 chapters for you in just about 10 minutes. So that we can then get a handle on the story of Joseph and then we can move on in the life of Joseph. So we meet Joseph in chapter uh, 37 of Genesis and he's 17 years old. Now he is, he's in a really kind of interesting family. He is the second youngest of 12 boys. Can you imagine having 12 boys? We had four and that was crazy enough. But can you imagine having 12? He has 10 older brothers and then He's the second youngest, and then Benjamin is the youngest. Now, it's a kind of a bit of a weird family, you know, from back in these days, in these Bible days, these early, early Bible days. There, there are a couple of moms. <laughs> it's really complicated. Actually, there's four moms. But there's two main, <laughs> two main moms, and then, you know, their handmaidens kind of contributed to the family. And so, but there's one dad, <laughs> and his name is Jacob. And the two sisters, two of the wives are sisters, Leah and Rachel, and and. That's complicated as well. Sister wives thing, you know, it's kind of complicated there. And, and there's a, uh, the, the interesting fact is that the, the first wife, the oldest one, whose name is Leah, Jacob really doesn't love her. In fact, he was tricked into marrying her. The second wife, whose name is Rachel, he really loved her. And, and he had to, you know, he had to work for seven years just, just to get her. Actually, he had to work for 14, but it's complicated. So 
Here's the thing that you need to understand is Rachel only had two sons. Joseph is the first and Benjamin is the second. And they're the two youngest children in the family. So the father, Jacob, he loves Joseph more than he loves all the other brothers. In fact, he doesn't even hide it at all. He plays favorites, which is a terrible thing, as any of you or parents know. I mean, I grew up in a home where there were three boys and one was favored, and it wasn't me. And it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm good. My counselor and I are still talking. <laughs> but it's all good. It's all good. We're going to work it out. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's terribly dysfunctional. It causes all kinds of problems and grief. And so Joseph, you know, Joseph's father not only does he favor his son, but he demonstrates his favoritism by making this coat for him. Now, I don't want you to throw out your children's Bibles after this, okay? Don't go home and throw out your children's Bibles. Hear me really clearly. But it may not have been a coat of many colors. It may have been a, a coat with long sleeves and a long coat. The important thing to recognize is whether it was multicolored or whether it was just a really great coat, you know, whether it was just really on a fine Italian suit, if, if that's what he did for him, it distinguished him from all of his other brothers. And the distinguishing factor was this. They were a kind of a blue-collar family. They were, the, the brothers were all shepherds, and they worked the farm. But this coat distinguished him, Joseph, as a white-collar worker. It actually set Joseph up almost like he was management and everybody else was union. That's what it did, okay? So that kind of distinction is what happened. And that's what the father did. Now, because of this, his brothers... They hated him, just flat out hated Joseph. They couldn't stand this little guy. And all the time, you know, we see him in, in Genesis chapter 37, he would go back to dad all the time and tell what the brothers were doing wrong. You know, your 10 older brothers, not a smart move. If you have 10 older brothers, you don't go telling mom and dad what they're doing, okay? And so the brothers hated him all the more. And so what they decide to do is they decide to kill him. After all, he's only a half brother. They just share a father, not their mother. And so they decide to kill him. And so one day he comes out, you know, to meet them in the field. And they say, oh, here he's coming. And they decide to kill him. And then the oldest brother, Reuben, he, you know, he's the responsible one, right? I'm the oldest in the family. We're the oldest ones. We're always the responsible ones, right? We always are looking for an alternative. And so he decides not to kill him. And he says to the brothers, look, let's not kill him. You know, here's, here's an old empty well. Let's just throw him in a pit instead. Now, he wanted later on to go back and take him out of the pit and bring him back to his dad. That was his plan. And so while they're discussing this whole thing and they've thrown Joseph into this pit, along comes this caravan of traveling merchants. They were traders. They were bringing spices from the north down to Egypt. And as they come along, one of the brothers says, hey, listen, let's not leave him in the pit. Why don't we just sell him to, the, to, this, to this caravan? Why don't we just trade him in as a slave? And so that's exactly what they do. They get 20 pieces of silver, and they trade in Joseph, and they take his special Italian suit, his coat, his special present from dad, and they pour animal blood all over it, and they take it home to dad, and they say, well, we were out in the field, something terrible happened, dad. Uh, a wild animal attacked and Joseph was killed. Well, this is the favorite son. The old man is devastated. Jacob is just devastated. He's ruined by this news. And he goes into like what would be a deep depression. He mourns over and over and over again because he has lost his favorite son, Joseph. Well, Joseph arrives down in Egypt 
And when he's there, he's sold to a wealthy man who is in charge of some of the king's uh, household, or the, sorry, the Pharaoh's household, not the king, the Pharaoh's household. And his name is Potiphar. And Joseph begins to work for this man, Potiphar. And Joseph is a hard worker. He's a good guy. And, and he is impressive with everything he does. And the scripture tells us that God is with Joseph and God blesses him in everything that he does. And even the people who hang around with Joseph, it seems that God blesses them. And so Potiphar begins to notice this. And he, over time, he elevates Joseph in his household to the second in command in his household. Now, Mrs. Potiphar, she notices Joseph too. And she sees that Joseph is well-built and he's handsome. And so when Mr. Potiphar is out on business or away on business, repeatedly, over and over again, the Bible tells us, she says to Joseph, listen, why don't you come have sex with me? And Joseph repeatedly puts her off and says no. And then one day, a lot of the servants weren't in their house, and Joseph came into the house, and Mrs. Potiphar again approaches Joseph and says, please, come to bed with me, come have sex with me. And he says no, and he realizes that there's no servants in the house, so he turns to run out of the house, and she grabs him by his cloak, again, is a cloak getting him in trouble, but he, she grabs him by his cloak, and she pulls, he pulls away, and he bolts out of the house. Well, now she's embarrassed and she's angry. She's been stood up by this slave boy. And so she starts yelling and screaming and people come running to her aid. And she says, this Hebrew, this Hebrew slave that my master brought into the house, he tried to rape me. Well, Potiphar is angry, uh, obviously, with this. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, not sure who he's more angry at, his wife or Joseph. But anyways, he, he has no option. He throws Joseph in prison. So while Joseph is in prison, the prison warden begins to see that Joseph is a diligent guy. He's a hardworking guy. He gives no trouble. That people are drawn to him. In fact, Scripture tells us that God blesses Joseph while he's in prison. And that all the people around Joseph seem to get blessed when he's in prison. And so he elevates him to the highest position in the prison so that Joseph is actually looking after many of the duties of the prison and all of the other prisoners. Well, one day, pharaohs, a couple of pharaoh's uh, servants get into trouble. We're not sure what happened to them, but there's a cupbearer and a baker, and they get thrown in jail because pharaoh just doesn't like them anymore. And they have these crazy dreams. And, and in these crazy dreams... They're very, very similar in nature. They've got some time frame in them. There's some, some weird things happening in the dreams. And they're troubled by these dreams. But what we find is that Joseph is able to interpret the dreams. Now he comes to the cupbearer and he says, hey, there's good news for you. In three days you're going to be restored. You're going to go back. Pharaoh's going to welcome you back. And you're going to be in service to Pharaoh again. But baker man, I'm sorry about your luck. In three days you're going to go back to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is going to be displeased with you. And he is going to kill you. Three days later, exactly what Joseph predicted from the dreams happens. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And he forgets about Joseph's interpretation. And for two more years, Joseph is held in prison. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret, which is quite a statement because Pharaoh would have had around him a whole army of people whose job it was would be to interpret dreams and to read signs. But nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And suddenly, the cupbearer goes, oh, wait a minute. When I was in jail, remember when 
you were displeased with me? When I was in jail a few years ago, there was this guy, Joseph. I had a dream and he told me. So Joseph is summoned up in front of Pharaoh. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Not only does he interpret the dreams saying that there's going to be seven years of famine, uh, sorry, seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, but Joseph gives really wise instruction to Pharaoh. He tells him how he's to manage the whole thing so that actually Pharaoh will benefit even more than he normally would. Well, Pharaoh is so impressed with this that he uh, promotes Joseph to second in command of Egypt, all of Egypt. Well, the seven years of plenty happen, and there's a lot of storage that comes into the, the uh, storage barns of the pharaoh. And then the, the famine hits. And eventually, Jacob, his father, Joseph's father, has to send the brothers down. He keeps Benjamin at home, but he sends the ten other brothers down to Egypt to buy some grain and to get some relief. While they're down there, they come in and they bow down before Joseph. And they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph sure recognizes them. But he doesn't reveal himself to them. He calls them spies. And they're offended by that because they haven't done anything. But here's this powerful man, this guy who's second in command of a world superpower in calling them spies. And what Joseph does is he puts grain, he has his servants put grain into their sacks, but then he puts the money in there also and he sends them on their way. And when they get home, they realize that the money is in there and they're they're like devastated. This guy's going to come after us. He's going to say that we stole the money and we stole the grain. Well, as time marches on, they have to go back down again. And this time, Joseph insists that they bring Benjamin, the youngest, down. Benjamin comes down also. Now, Jacob, the father, who's already lost, you know, one son, doesn't want to lose Benjamin. So he's very, very reluctant. Well, eventually he goes, and Joseph pulls another fast one on them when they're down there. And he again fills, you know, their sacks with grain, and he puts the money in, but he takes one of his prized goblets, and he puts it in Benjamin's. And when the brothers leave to go back to their father, Joseph sends some officials after them, and he brings them back in, and he says, hey, you guys, I called you spies a couple of years ago when you were here, and now you're stealing from me. And they say, no, we are absolutely not stealing. The person who has stolen from you, let him die. Well, they open Benjamin's sack, and there's Joseph's goblet, the one that he drinks from. Well, the brothers are devastated, and they say, like, our father, he's not going to survive this. He's already lost Joseph, and now the only other son that he had with Rachel, you know, is going to die. Well, Joseph sends all of his officials out because his heart is turned. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and they are shocked, to say the least. And Joseph has this great reunion. His father Jacob eventually comes down to Egypt. The whole family, the whole extended family comes down to Egypt where they ride out this worldwide famine and the whole family is spared and saved because of Joseph and the position that he holds. And at the end of chapter 50, at the end of Genesis, Jacob dies and then eventually Joseph dies. But he makes them swear an oath to take his body, to take his bones with them when they eventually leave Egypt. And in the subsequent years, Israel grows into a great nation. And we next pick the story up when Moses is the main character, some 300 years later, when the Israelites are, you know, slaves in Egypt. So that's kind of the life and the background of Joseph. Why did I take so long to tell you the story? I want you to see the ups and downs of Joseph's life. 
Because in the roller coaster ride of Joseph's life, life, there are some things that we must remember, and they're an encouragement to you and me who are here this morning. We can take heart. You and I could take heart because of Joseph and because of Joseph's life. And specifically, we can take heart and we can trust God in the highs of our lives. There are a number of highs that we see in Joseph's life. Joseph has some dreams in Genesis chapter 37, 79. He says this. This is when he's 17 years old and he's still living at home. He says this. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. And he said, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now... I don't recommend that 17-year-olds go around telling their older brothers, and in this case, you know, their mom and their dad, that everybody's going to bow down to them. That's not kind of how you handle it. But here's, here's the interesting thing in the midst of this great high, is that in the days in which Joseph lived, dreams were seen as being originated directly from God. And so Joseph, in the midst of this, he trusts God in the midst of these dreams. He has these dreams. Doesn't handle it real well in terms of communicating the dreams, but he trusts God in the middle of it. He believes that God is speaking to him. And when God speaks to us, whether it's through dreams, whether it's through visions, whether it's through reading his word every day, or whether it's through community as you do community together, we must learn to listen to the voice of God and we must trust God with whatever he speaks to us. Because it's not always going to be a favorable message that we may get. We may get messages from God. We may get a leading from, a God, from God that takes us way outside of our comfort zone. But we must be people who learn to trust God in the highs. The second way in which he trusts God in the highs is in Joseph's promotion. In Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 to 6, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. That's uh, Potiphar. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the, house, the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Again, here's Joseph now in this high. You know, he's been sold into slavery, but he rises up through the ranks in Potiphar's house till he's got this exalted position now in Potiphar's house. And he's the man. He's the man in Potiphar's house. He can do almost anything he wants. Potiphar has no concerns. Potiphar travels on business, goes away and hangs out with other officials, and he doesn't concern himself. Everything he has... Joseph has access to. And in the midst of that, we need to trust God in the midst of that. And we know that Joseph trusted God in this because God, we see the hand of God. We see the blessing of God in this. Everything that Joseph did, God blessed. The people that Joseph hung around with, God blessed. And even Potiphar, who is not a God-fearer, not someone who recognizes God, but because of Joseph's trust, even he is blessed. And then we see Joseph in prison in Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 to 23. But while Joseph was there in prison, the, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he made, 
and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So again, you know, here Joseph's in prison, and, and that's a real low, but now he's elevated to prison. Why? Because Joseph has put his trust and his hope in God. Joseph hasn't wandered away. Joseph, Joseph hasn't cashed in his faith because of all of the ups and downs, because of the roller coaster ride of life. Joseph continues to trust God. He continues to acknowledge God, and God is with him and prospers him in everything that he does. Well, and also in Genesis 41, we see Joseph trusting God in the highs when he's the ruler in Egypt. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring, which is a sign of authority, uh, from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. And then he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Again, an unbelievable high in Joseph's life. Coming out of a terrible time, but, a, but an unbelievable high. And Joseph continues to acknowledge God. Joseph continues to follow God. Joseph continues to put his trust in God. The interpretation of the dream comes from God. As you read the passage, Joseph gives the credit to God, not to himself. And therefore, God exalts him and God favors him. And so Pharaoh also exalts him and favors him. So we need to trust God in the highs. But what do we do about the roller coaster ride of life with the lows? Well, what I want to suggest to you is that we can take heart and follow God in the lows. We need to take heart and follow God in the lows. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this. God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pain. And you and I need to follow God in the lows of life. I mean, sometimes it's very easy to trust God in the highs of life because everything is going so well for us. The circumstances just seem to be like falling into place all around us. But what do we do when we begin to hit bottom? What do we begin to do when, when the roller coaster starts picking up speed and heading down that hill? Well, we need to follow God in the midst of those times. During our lows, it's not the time for us to wander away from God. We can't wander away from God during our lows. And yet so many people are tempted to do that. Look at Joseph's life. Joseph is rejected by his brothers. Genesis 37, 18 and 19 says, But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Joseph is rejected by his brothers. Can you imagine, can you imagine what that would feel like? I mean, it's one thing to be dad's favorite, and it's one thing to have, you know, this special, this special suit, this special garment that, that signifies you as dad's favorite. But, and, it's a, and it's one thing actually for your brothers to dislike you, but it's a completely different thing for your brothers to hate you and want to kill you. And yet in the midst of that, Joseph still follows God. We also see Joseph following God when he's sold as a slave. In Genesis chapter 37, 26 to 28, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. 
His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty low point in your life. And yet as we read on in the chapter and as we look at the verses that surround these verses, we find that Joseph doesn't bellyache. I mean, I'm sure he was not happy with his circumstances. But the one thing that we find throughout Joseph's life and the pattern that we see is that Joseph continued to follow God all the way through all of this. In the lowest of lows, he was not giving up on God. He was going to keep close to God. He was not going to wander away from God. He was not going to throw in the spiritual towel, but he was going to continue to follow God. Joseph then is falsely accused in Genesis 39, 13 to 20. This is talking about Mrs. Potiphar. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I, <clears throat> excuse me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Now, I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure who Potiphar is more angry with. Because Joseph is a slave. He's a Hebrew slave. And the penalty for a slave uh, doing an attempted rape on an Egyptian is immediate death. But Potiphar doesn't kill him. There's something about this Joseph guy. I think he's more angry with Mrs. Potiphar. I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is a, 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 something that's happened in the past before. E- either way, this is a pretty low point in your life. You've been elevated to this. You have this nice, cushy job working for this government official, and you have everything at your disposal. Everybody works for you in the household. And then suddenly you're thrown in prison. But we see that Joseph continues to follow God. And then finally, when he's forgotten in jail in Genesis 40 and verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I think it's amazing that Joseph didn't throw in the towel. And what we learn from Joseph's life is this, that God is not so much concerned with the circumstances of our lives. He sees and he knows the circumstances of our lives. But with our response to those circumstances... That's one of the things that we see in Joseph. As we read the account of Joseph, God is more impressed with Joseph's response to the circumstances than he is with the actual circumstances that Joseph finds himself in. Well, then we can take heart and we can believe in God and his purposes. And I think that's one of the things that Joseph so wonderfully displays for us. Years ago, Jen and I did go and see Andrew Lloyd Webber's play, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Anybody else uh, go and see the play? One, one of the amazing things about it is this. God's not mentioned. He's not mentioned in the whole play. I'm like, Andrew. We're on a first night name base. Andrew, how can you do the story of Joseph and miss God? The whole story's about God. The whole story is about the sovereignty of God. It's about the hand of God through the ups and the downs of life. As Joseph goes on this roller coaster ride through years and years, some 20-something years of his life, God is always there at every dip and every turn. And you just, you just can't miss that. I love this great verse, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Many people know this verse. Joseph, when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, he says this, You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Boy, you only get that kind of opinion, that kind of viewpoint with, with great perspective over many, many years. See, that's not 17-year-old Joseph speaking anymore, the snotty-nosed little favored brat. This is a guy who's now gone through the ups and the downs of life. This is a guy who's risen to the heights and a guy who has been poorly treated and mistreated and falsely accused. And after all of that, this guy says, it's God. It's the hand of God. You meant to harm me. I, my brothers, you meant to harm me, but God meant it for good to accomplish what's now happening, the saving of many lives. Our whole family is saved because of what you set in motion years and years ago. See, Joseph just seems to have this great perspective. He sees the hand of God at work, and he sees the purposes of God at work. I wonder if Joseph's dreams had anything to do with that. I wonder if Joseph remembered his dreams from those very, very early days. I'm not sure, but I think they had some weight on this. So let me finish with some practical takeaways from the life of Joseph. Like some things that I think you can think about this week. Some things that you, as you reflect on on the life of Joseph, maybe you even want to read from Genesis chapter 37 to 50. Maybe read that whole episode. You know, I mean, there's so much packed in there. But but here's what I want to encourage you with today as you think about Joseph. First thing is this, that I think sometimes looking back helps us move forward. I don't know how reflective you are as a person. Every once in a while, I take time away. I schedule some time away by myself, which, given my personality, is one of the hardest things that I have to do because I love being around people. But I schedule time away by myself, and primarily what I do is I reflect. I reflect on the past. I reflect on the near past, and I reflect on for me, is the ancient past. And one of the things that I'm always amazed by when I do that is seeing the hand of God at work in my life. In small ways, in big ways. See, I am just like you. I've had some incredible highs in my life. There have been some amazing things that have happened in my life, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so thankful for those things. And I see the hand of God at work in those highs. But I'm also just like all of us here. I've had some terrible lows in my life. Some things that have hurt me and wounded me deeply. Just like you. And as I take time to reflect on those things, now that the sting isn't as bad as it once was, I'm gaining perspective and I'm seeing the hand of God at work. And I would encourage you that that's one of the things that Joseph speaks to us about. Looking back helps us look forward. Genesis 45, 7 to 8 says this. This is Joseph's perspective at the end of his whole story. He says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. 
God gets all the credit. You guys did some nasty things to me, but God used those things. We'll work those things out on a horizontal level. But he said, I now understand the hand of God at work in my past. And that's what gives us faith to go on. The second thing that I think we take away from the life of Joseph, or that I want to encourage you with, is that character matters. (laughs) Character really matters. Look at these verses. Genesis 39, 8 to 10. This is Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar. We don't know her first name, so I just keep calling her Mrs. Potiphar. This is Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar. She keeps enticing him to have sex with her. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And although, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I'm so impressed with Joseph's character. I'm so impressed with his character. The guy had opportunity. Pharaoh, uh, sorry, Potiphar had placed him in charge. Potiphar is not around. The guy has every opportunity. And he says no over and over and over again. And he says to her, look, I can't do this against my master. The guys trust me. And so trust is important to me. My character is important to me. And I will not violate my character. And moreover, even though you don't acknowledge it, I serve the living and true God. The one whose hand has been in my life all through my life. And I won't do it against Potiphar. And I certainly won't sin against God. But here's what happens is, day after day, she keeps at him. She's persistent. And what it says at the very end is so telling. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You see, the guy is so concerned about his integrity and he's so concerned about his his character that he won't even put himself in the circumstances that might lead to temptation. Let me say that again, because some of you need to hear that. He is so concerned with his character and with his integrity that he won't put himself in the circumstances that might lead to temptation. Obviously, he has to be around her. He has to perform his duties, but he won't spend alone time with her if he can help it. He will avoid alone time with this woman at all costs because he knows for him that's a danger zone. See, Joseph speaks to us when you're a person of faith and you're a person of impeccable character look out look out world we need to be men and women of faith yes but we need to be men and women who are just like jesus in our character impeccable character we don't flirt with things that we shouldn't flirt with We don't just see how far we can go before we fall off the edge. We run away from the edge. Joseph ran out of the house. And the problem with me and the problem with you is so many times we maybe walk backwards kind of looking longingly at best. No, we got to turn and run if we want to maintain our character. Well, the last thing 
that I see that is so helpful about Joseph is that we need to plan to finish well. We need to plan to finish well. Look at Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. This is